Good morning. Before we get started, if it's okay, we're going to have a, just say a prayer. Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you that they change us and transform us. And I pray that this morning that that is all that we will hear, that we'll hear your words speaking to our hearts. Amen. This morning, I am going to take a risk and I am going to get very honest with you. So I want to see if you can identify with this. Have you ever been in a situation where you realize suddenly that you are not an insider? You are very, very out of place. You may look around and realize that the people around you have their own lingo, their own vocabulary, their own abbreviations. And perhaps this happened to you at a conference or a spouse's work party or at a sports e- sporting event, or maybe at the most recent Star Wars movie. But you realize that you have no idea what's going on, and you have three choices in this moment. One, you can make a quick exit and get out of there. Two, you can pretend what you, that you know what's happening. Or three, you can just be honest and admit that you are out of place. Now, when I see people take option number three, I always think of them as very brave. But the reality is we know that they are met with blank stares and looks of indignation. And throughout my life, I've moved quite a few times. So I've been in this situation often, and you'll be proud to know that I usually take option number two and fake it. And this involves a lot of nodding your head and then pretending to see a friend across the room when you're about to have to add something to the conversation. And this is where I'm going to take a big risk and tell you that I was 18 years old when I moved to this community. And up until that point, my relationship with football had been as follows. I would go to the Friday night games in high school because it was a social event. And then I was a Steelers fan because everyone in my town was a Steelers fan, just like Southerners are all Baptists. And if you didn't know something about the current season or the coach, then that would be grounds for you to pack up your entire family and flee for your life. So I was a Steelers fan. And I love the city of Pittsburgh. It's a steelworker city. There's lots of heart and no fluff. And winter begins for us in about September. So when you go to a Steelers game, you are all bundled up. And a common attire is just a jersey and some black face paint because you're ready for the war. So I moved to Clemson with limited knowledge of football and zero knowledge of Clemson football. Starting to get a little scared. It gets worse. On game day, I was just so confused by the lovely appearance of everyone in town. I didn't know why people were so dressed up. And so my first game, I was a total loser. I was like a black dot in a sea of joyous orange. And then all the people around me came together with one voice There was all this unity and passion, and they started the cheers. And so I decided I was just going to go with it. So T-I-G. And then the arm swinging part came. And I had not seen that coming. And so if you were watching me, you could tell I was an outsider. And then the real test of who are the insiders and outsiders, the alma mater. 
I went to a soccer game, and all the people around me start putting their arms around each other and swaying. And if you know the alma mater, you either know the alma mater or you don't know the alma mater. I painfully failed the litmus test. So here's the question. Have you ever felt like that at church? Or maybe it's when someone's talking about the Bible. You hear words like devotions and quiet time. And these things are Christianese for spending time with God, spending time in the Bible. And maybe you're here and you've never actually read the Bible. Or maybe the Bible has been some part of your life throughout the years. But whatever your relationship is with this book, if you're like me, there have been these moments where somebody is talking about a story or something incredible they learned in their quiet time. And you just feel so behind. You're thinking to yourself, man, I've really got to get it together. I need to spend some more time reading. I need to do some more studying. There are things that everyone seems to know, and I don't know. And so I feel like an outsider. Some of us have tried reading the Bible, but we've hit these walls for different reasons. It may be because your experience with the Bible is that it was used as a tool to manipulate or cause guilt. Maybe you grew up in church, but you don't really remember learning a lot about the Bible. And so you're supposed to be way down the road and understanding it, but really you're mostly just faking it. And sometimes when people talk about the Bible, it sounds a lot to you like school. And school was a place that was full of shame. School was a place you hated and you don't even like to read. We can get overwhelmed focusing on the methods and stop actually focusing on the Bible. And here's the tension. If we want to be a Christ follower, the Bible has to be a part of our lives. The Bible is God describing himself and describing us and the world around us. And the Bible is the greatest source of truth. But there's this hope in the tension, and that's this. That God wants to be known. God wants to be known by you. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the Israelites. And the Israelite people had come out of generations of slavery. They had crossed the Red Sea, spent 40 years in the wilderness, and things are starting to look up. And so Moses stands in front of the people and he reminds them of where they came from. And he gives them this charge. He's speaking to these men and women and children who are now free. And he says to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk down the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands. Buy them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And Moses, he begins this in a really unexpected place. He begins with love. 
He didn't start with telling them to memorize laws because apparently there's this, there's this connection between God's word and our understanding his love. And the other surprising part is that Moses wasn't talking to just the priests and the leaders. He was talking to everyone. Because apparently God wants us to understand who he is and what he said. Women, children, men, he wants us to know and he makes it simple enough to incorporate into our everyday lives. He's asking people to start these new practices and these new routines. And sometimes it can feel awkward to start something new in your house or your apartment or your dorm. But this passage is a template for us to use. So how do we incorporate the Bible into transportation? Whatever that is. Walking, here maybe it was a donkey, your car. You can listen to the Bible Add conversations about the Bible to dinner. Maybe read a verse together. At our house, we say the Lord's Prayer at dinner. And I promise if you have teenagers and you add this to dinner, you may find some eye rolling from the fellow diners, but just press on. Talking about the Bible can be part of our nightly routines as adults or when you're talking to your kids. And something we've done since our kids were little is we've asked them, who made you? And they'll say, God made me. We'll say, who loves you the most? And they'll say, God loves me the most. And when they're toddlers, this is super exciting. And as they get older, they answer more like, God made me. God loves me the most. But we all need to be reminded that we are unconditionally loved. And parents, let me tell you something that convicts me, and it's this. If we want our kids to know God, they have to know where to find God. And our kids want to know how we engage with the Bible. And if you're an aunt or uncle or you're a grandparent, it's an incredible gift for you to share with the kids in your life how you read or listen or engage with God's word because their brain may work a lot like your brain. And there's something else here. Some of us tend to hear things like this and we think of all the things that we aren't doing. And you may be finishing grad school or working nights or have welcomed a precious angel into your home that means you get no sleep. And so we sit down to read the Bible and we fall asleep. And so we struggle with this constant sense of guilt. And I want to say to you that God is not mad at you. God is so excited to know us. And he's grateful when we show up. And sometimes we need to celebrate the little ways that we begin to incorporate God into our lives. Moses is telling people, if you make the Bible a part of your ordinary routine, it becomes written on your heart. It becomes part of the very fabric of your life. There's another book in the Old Testament called the Book of Psalms. And it's actually a book of poetry. And if you read Psalms 119, it's like eavesdropping on the conversation that this author is having with God. We don't know his name, but we do know that we have a lot in common with him. He's honest that he's made some mistakes. And at the very moment he's writing this, there are people making his life apparently very miserable because he describes himself as 
in a pretty depressing way. He says, I am laid low in the dust. I'm mourning. I am lonely and despised. I have suffered much. And the majority of us can say that we've either felt that way in the past or maybe we feel that way right now. But surprisingly, the focus of this chapter isn't on his suffering. It's on God and God's word. And this is what he says. Your compassion is great. You have broadened my understanding. You are my refuge and shield. You've given me hope. You've been my comfort. You give me peace. You are near me. You are right and what you do is good. The earth is full of your love. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And I hope you noticed in there that he describes the Bible as a lamp unto his feet. And my translation for this would be that I am lost in the woods at night and there's no moon. And this bright flashlight is the only thing that's keeping me from falling flat on my face. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of this darkness, this guy finds the Bible and God to be the light that he needed. And the fantastic thing for us is that he tells us how he got there. And this may sound extremely simple, but he asks God to help him understand what he reads and who God is. And his words can be the same words that we use. Teach me, give me understanding, direct me, turn my heart towards your statutes. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Help me, make me wise, give me discernment, help me understand. And then there's this next step. And sometimes this is where we can get caught. He takes action. He dives in to experiencing God's words and what he knows about God. He says, I consider, I obey, I seek, I meditate. I've hidden your word in my heart. I recount, I talk about it. I learn, I have chosen, I set my heart, I run in the path, I reach out, I delight. I considered my ways and turned my steps. I ponder, I put my hope in, I stand in awe. Seven times a day I praise you. I'm up at night thinking about you. This guy is diving into God's word. And I know people like that. And you might know people like that too. And recently I was talking to one of my heroes. And I was asking them about their relationship with the Bible. And they humbly described getting up in the morning and reading the Bible. And then before they went to bed and listening to their favorite Bible teachers. And these people serve as an incredible example for us. But God doesn't expect us to start where they've started. Nobody is born understanding the Bible. It's a journey for us to get there. At some point, we can begin to feel like maybe we're not measuring up. And if you'll notice in these passages, what we don't see is this rule, rule book for how to engage with God. There's no one, two, three, four steps. But what we do find are some common threads. And the first thing is that the Bible has to get from here into here. It doesn't jump off the shelf into our minds. It does require some effort. And based on how you're wired, it can look different. But it does take some discipline. 
And if you're getting started for the very first time, you could start in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're the stories about Jesus' life, and they're a great place to begin learning. The next thing that we can find that's common is that we're supposed to think about or memorize the Bible. It soaks into our life. It becomes atmosphere and then attitude and then action. We notice that we begin loving the same things God loves and living more like he wants us to live. Philippians 2 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desires and the power to do what pleases him. The next thing we do is we actually take action. We apply what we read to our lives. This is that obedience part. We, freedom requires transformation. If the Bible isn't the source of truth in our lives, something else will be. It might be how many likes you have. It might be the last test or your love life or what's in your 401k. We have to have something that's the ultimate source of truth for us. And the last thing that's a common thread through these scriptures is teaching it. It doesn't mean you have to know everything about the Bible or even a lot about the Bible. It's simply sharing what it is that God's teaching you. It can be talking to a neighbor about how you want to start reading the Bible. It might be mentoring somebody else. So we know that we're supposed to get the Bible in our minds, to memorize it and put it into action and teach it. But how do we do that practically? And I think the answer is found in the three authors that we just learned about. Because God used drastically different types of people to write this book. He used 40 different authors, including scribes, fishermen, kings, royal officials, prophets, musicians, secretaries, poets, a doctor, and a tree surgeon. I don't know if we have any tree surgeons in the room. But God knew that all of us would come from different cultures and walks of life. And I think that understanding how we're different is incredible. And I am one of those people you may find very annoying. I love personality tests. And I'm that person that's always trying to convince you to take the newest personality test that I just discovered. And one of the newest ones that I'm doing and that I'm loving is called The Eight Great Smarts. So in this book, we find out that we all have these common eight smarts and that some of them apply to us more than others and they're our strengths. And so I want to use this just as a template or an idea of how we all think and can engage with scripture differently. So first there are word smart people and word smart people think in words. You might love listening to podcasts or an audio Bible you might want to know what a word meant in the original language and go and look that up. You love to read, and maybe you discover more about God through journaling. And before people even had the ability to read, or people around the world who don't read, word-smart people are incredible storytellers, and they kept the stories of the scripture alive. There's logic-smart people, and you think with questions. 
Logic smart people want to know the timeline of Paul's journey or the consistency between Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment of that prophecy. Logic smart people might want to dive into one topic or one author. And logic smart people need a place where they can ask tough questions. Picture smart people, you think in images. When you read something, you imagine what it looks like. You identify with God and his creativity. You think of biblical symbols and art as important. You might read the Bible and draw in the margins. You might like the Amplified Bible translation because it's colorful and has more detail. Music smart people think in rhythms and melodies. You need to listen to music while you read the Bible. And parts of the Bible were actually songs, and you relate to those parts of the Bible. You may read something and think of a song from church. There's, these, um, there's this music called Seeds Family Worship. And whether you have kids or not, it might be a little corny, but it's just scripture set to music. And you may love memorizing the Bible that way. And then there's body smart people, and they think through movement and touch. You may find you love listening to the Bible while you're running or doing yoga or fly fishing. Body smart people can be memorizing scripture while they're doing pottery, working in their shop. Body smart people are not going to get excited about sitting for long periods of time. You need to engage with the Bible while you move. Nature smart people think in patterns, and they connect with God as the creator of life. The Bible comes alive to them on the beach or sitting by the lake, in their tree stand or in the boat. The Bible smart people love connecting with so many scriptures about agriculture, about nature, I wish I were nature smart. In college, I would see these people and they would take their Bible and their journal and they would go outside and it just looked so cool. And you nature smart people are always posting pictures of your hike on Table Rock and how you connected with God. And I tried this. And what happens is that dirt gets on my journal and a bug crawls on my blanket, and the wind blows the pages closed I was trying to read. The Bible does not come alive for me outside, but it does for you. The next, self, or the next is self-smart. And these people think with reflection. Group Bible studies are their nightmare. They are happy to hear that throughout history, People connected with the Bible without a Beth Moore Bible study. They can't wait to be alone to process what they're learning. They like to sit in silence. You might ask them a question in small group, and it will take them a very long time to answer because they need to consider everything they know, but typically what comes out is a very thoughtful answer that adds a lot of wisdom to a group. They're a great match for those people with tough questions. And the last one is people smart people, and they think with people. They can be introverts or extroverts, but they need people to process their ideas. 
They need to share their perspective after they've heard something. They get very excited about joining a Bible study or joining a group. They're great at empathizing and noticing people who are left out. So here's the thing. If the Bible is new to you, welcome. You are not alone because somebody sitting in the row beside you has the exact same question that you do. Some of us were born wearing clumps and orange, and some of us, it's all brand new to us as adults. And if you aren't sure you believe in the Bible, welcome, because we're glad that doubters can be a part of our community. And what about the people who aren't sitting in these seats yet? Sometimes we need to be reminded that the Bible is for believers and for unbelievers for the mildly convinced and the skeptic, for those questioning their faith and those beginning to discover their faith. So what if in this brand new year, we committed to trying something new? Maybe it's buying a Bible or downloading the app for the very first time. Maybe it's finding a creative way to memorize scripture. What if we refuse to settle for a relationship of guilt between us and the Bible? What if it's walking alongside someone who's starting their faith, but we learn to engage with the Bible in a way that fits them instead of asking them to do it in a way that maybe fits us better? What if we make the Bible part of our daily routine in our dorm or our apartment or our home? if we start talking to our kids about how they can get to know the Bible? What if we lived into the truth that we have one God and one scripture, but so many ways that we connect with him? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the incredible diversity in the way that you made our minds. Man, God, I thank you that you want to be known. God, that this book is its really a love story, God, about you wanting to find us and to know us. Father, I pray that we can take a step, God, that we can find new and creative ways to learn who you are and who you want us to be. We praise you, Father, that you gave us these words, that we have a guide for our lives and a guide for truth. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you will do. In your precious name, amen.